Would you pray with me as we look at the scripture together this morning? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're always grateful to be in your presence. We know that whenever we come together, uh, your word promises that you are with us. Jesus, thank you for being in our midst this morning. Thank you once again for the, uh, the mission of the Morford family that you've given to them. We're thankful that they're part of who we are, and we're thankful that you are sending us to this far-off place to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people in Indonesia. God, we're, we're grateful for the mission of our church, and we pray that you continue to help us to see how each one of us can focus this year on what you've given to us as priorities. Uh, give us the courage to step out in 2017 into some things that might take s- some risk as we partner with you in the work you're doing in the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this Sunday is the fourth Sunday in a conversation we've been having. We're just calling Mission Priorities. And if you've not been with us, that's a description of four areas that Mill City is choosing to focus on in 2017 that fit with our larger mission statement to love our community in the name of Jesus. And these four mission priorities have come from the covenant members of Mill City Church, discussions that the members had over a year to say, what is it that God wants us to be focused on? And each of these things came out of those conversations. And um, today you have a handout like this if you wanna grab it, take a look at it. Um, JD discovered this amazing invention called perforated paper. Has anybody ever heard of it before? We're making use of it. It's cutting edge, no pun intended. Sorry, sorry. All right, so uh, at the end of the morning this, this morning, I would love it if you would tear that bottom part off and, and put your name down in your email and check which one of these areas that you would like to focus on in 2017. And what that will sign you up to do is receive about every other month a summary of the things Mill City is doing in those areas or uh, an article to read or a prayer that might help you continue to focus so that six times over the course of the year, you get a prompt that says, hey, this was something you wanted to focus on this year. Here are some resources to help you continue to stay at it. Because sometimes in January, when you say, I wanna focus on this by like September, you've kind of forgotten what it was that you said. So we just wanna help remind you if that's something you're interested in, check a box. There'll be some uh, buckets on your way out the door. You can just drop those, drop those in the bucket on your, uh, uh, after the sermon and the worship service today. So uh, there are these four choices, gospel and neighbors, where we talked a couple weeks ago about what does it look like to have a 21st century conversation with neighbors about the good news of Jesus Christ. We talked about gospel and race, and Stephanie helped us to see the different ways that God's helping Mill City Church to focus on racial justice and racial reconciliation in our neighborhood and in our individual lives. Last week, JD just gave a terrific sermon on what it means to think about your vocation, what it is you're called to do with your life, and differentiate that from your job and decide how it is that God wants you to use your vocation over the course of your life. If you didn't hear that sermon, I really encourage you to listen to it. Uh, And today we're gonna talk about engaging the marginalized. So the fourth focus, the fourth mission priority is engaging the marginalized. Uh, Who are the marginalized? Let's start there, because it might be hard to figure out how to engage them if you don't know who the marginalized are. Here's a simple definition of the marginalized. People considered unimportant and without power 
in any society or group. It's a very simple definition. So think about any group that you've ever been a part of. Uh, who were the people who were considered unimportant or had no power or no voice in what was happening in the group? That could be you know, your group of friends in junior high where someone was marginalized and kept and considered unimportant. That could be on a much larger scale in terms of cultural norms in the United States, in Minnesota, in Minneapolis. Who are the people who are considered unimportant or who have no voice, no power to influence the way that their life is lived? That's how we're gonna be using the word marginalized today. Now, the Bible has lots of categories, specific categories for marginalized people. Here's a list of some of them. The Bible considers the poor to be marginalized people. Uh, the foreigner is a common term you'll find in scripture to describe people who are marginalized. The widow, uh, which is to signify people who have essentially lost their economic power. That's usually what the Bible means. A woman who lost her husband had no way to provide for herself in mo most of the biblical cultures. So a person who's lost their economic power. The fatherless or the orphan is a common term in scripture to say people with a, a child without parents is unimportant or has no power. Uh, the oppressed is a common biblical term. People who are being um, held down or they're being um, exploited by a different group of people and they're, they're not important or they don't have power. Children are a common metaphor for people who are unimportant or don't have power. And if you just do a simple search, if you type in biblegateway.com and pull up a version of the Bible and put any one of these numbers in, this is all I did, so let me tell you what I found. The Bible mentions the poor or poverty 446 times in 384 separate verses. The Bible mentions foreigners and the treatment of foreigners 146 times. It mentions the widow 103 times. It mentions the fatherless 41 times. It mentions the oppressed 49 times. So that adds up to roughly 700 mentions of the marginalized in scripture. Um, I might wager to say anytime we hear something 700 times in scripture, we ought to pay attention to it. It's something that God cares a lot about and wants us to understand. Most of these mentions have to do with the way in which God's people are supposed to treat the marginalized. There are lots and lots of scriptures about how God has a passion for the way people who are considered unimportant or people who don't have power are treated by God's people. And oftentimes God connects their treatment of those people to God's own reputation. So one of the reasons why God is so passionate about this topic is because God knows that the way in which God's people treat the least of these, as Jesus refers to him in Matthew 25, is the way that people are going to understand the God that those folks worship. Jesus himself is somebody who can almost always be found among the marginalized people, right? The people who are considered unimportant or without power. There's lots of stories in the gospels about Jesus being with those people. So 
the Bible takes this topic very seriously, and I'm really proud that it's a Mill City mission priority. It's a Mill City mission priority, again, because the conversations that the covenant members had at covenant member meetings, which everyone is invited to come, even if you're not a covenant member, were about things like kids at Sheridan, kids at this school, Sheridan, who many people consider unimportant and often don't have a voice. They came out of conversations about refugee families from Somalia that some of our mission, missional communities had built a relationship with and helped to welcome to the United States. They came out of conversations about uh, people who are experiencing homelessness that one of our missional communities is regularly building relationships with, people who are considered unimportant and without power by the cultures that we live in. They, they came from people in our church talking about the residents of Clare Housing who are struggling with HIV and AIDS who are considered unimportant and without power by most of the cultures to the point where they can't even put a sign on the building where those people live for fear of judgment and violence that might take place against the residents. So this is a mission priority, not because someone came up with this as a good idea and thought Mill City should do it. It's a description of what Mill City Church is already doing, engaging the marginalized. And I'm really proud that we have so many different mission, missional communities that are doing this in different ways, some of which I already, I already mentioned. So the question is, what would it look like for us to deepen our commitment to engaging the marginalized? And what would it look like for you personally to engage the marginalized or make that a priority in your life this year? To get at this conversation a little bit in a little bit deeper way, I want to look at a story, short story in Mark chapter 10, if you have a Bible. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16, so just a few verses. And this is a story that I picked out because it illustrates a number of things that I think overall Scripture teaches us about engaging with marginalized people. And it's encapsulated in a story of how Jesus treats kids. And so when we read this story, I want you to have your lens uh, like this. So the kids that Jesus is engaging in this culture are, are marginalized people. They are unimportant and they're without power. And kids being disruptive, you know, kids in that culture were not lifted up the way that they're lifted up in our culture where we're, you know, trying to empower them and encourage them and give them opportunities. You know, there's a story about even Jesus where like they didn't know where Jesus was for several days. And finally their parents go, Does any, has anybody seen Jesus? No, well, isn't he, where, well, we better go all the way back to Jerusalem and see if we can find him. That's a child services call in the 21st century, right? So they were, they were on the margin in a way that it might even be hard for us to understand. And some people were trying to bring these kids to Jesus to receive a blessing, and, and here's kind of how the story unfolds. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, give them a blessing. But the disciples, Jesus' disciples, rebuked those people. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. I think that's a, a biblically polite way to say Jesus was not happy. Jesus was not happy. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. 
And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. So how do we love marginalized people in the name of Jesus, based on what Jesus is teaching us here? This story starts off with a group of people bringing children to Jesus to be blessed. Why are they bringing children to Jesus to be blessed? Well, if you've met any, any people who care about little people, parents or otherwise, and they find out, here's something that could be good for my person, for my little person, they often will sort of fight through crowds, do whatever is possible in order to help their child benefit from that. So people are seeing Jesus' ministry and realizing that this person has the power to bless their kids and the kids they care about, and they're fighting cultural norms to try to get to Jesus and say, would you just simply put your hand on this kid and bless him because I want my kid to be blessed by Jesus. And so all these people, out of their excitement and, and um, belief in the, the reality of Jesus' ministry, they're bringing these kids. And the disciples, the people who are closest to Jesus and are supposed to understand Jesus' ministry the best, create a barrier to the people trying to bring the kids. Now, I don't know if that's a physical barrier, if they just started yelling at them, or they put up a sign, I don't know what they did, but they made it clear to these people who are trying to bring the marginalized kids to Jesus, that's not what we're doing here. I started to wonder why, as Mark is including this story in the midst of the gospel, why would it be important for us to have this four verses over a long period of time. In other words, why would God want us in the 21st century to be learning from the mistake that the disciples make here? This isn't a rebuke of people who don't get Jesus or who are opposed to Jesus. This is a rebuke of people who are supposed to understand who Jesus is. So no doubt the Holy Spirit intends for us as the church to do some self-reflection and say, is there any way that the church, us as the church, the people who know Jesus, are creating barriers for people who don't have power or are considered unimportant to get to Jesus? Are there any ways that the church is preventing people on the margins from connecting with Jesus? Doesn't that sound like a really important question? Jesus says, don't ever prevent people from coming to me. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter where they're coming from. Do not hinder these people from coming to me because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these people on the margins, kids in particular, and the thing that the kids represent. Don't you dare put a barrier between me and these people on the margins because God's kingdom belongs to them. The kingdom of God belongs to the kids and people on the margins. They have a right to enter and receive God's kingdom, is what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples here. Now he moves on from that to say, truly I tell you, which is a biblical way to say, no, I really, 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 really mean this. Truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And I know that some of you have read this passage before and struggled with it a little bit in the sense of uh, thinking that your faith had to be immature or you had to just trust God blindly 
in order for you to really be a Christian. And for those of you who are thinkers and questioners, that may have been really a hard metaphor. So I'm gonna try to reframe that for you a little bit this morning because I don't think that's what it means. I think what Jesus is saying here is, not only are you not to make a barrier between me and these people on the margins, but you have something to learn from the people on the margins. There's something that the people on the margins understand about God that you don't understand. And so while you think you're doing me a favor by creating crowd control for these children, there's actually something essential among the children that you ought to receive from the children if you want to be a a citizen of the kingdom of God. Because if you can't learn to receive the kingdom the way a kid receives the kingdom, then you can't enter at all. So it's the stakes are incredibly high here, right? It's not only that you shouldn't prevent them from receiving a blessing, but you ought to be looking to them and saying, how can we learn from them? And I think this is one of the hardest things for Christian people because we often conceptualize our job, for those of us who maybe don't consider ourselves as living most of our lives on the margin, as helping or serving the people on the margins, and that's certainly part of what Scripture's teaching us. But it's also teaching us that unless we hang out with people on the margins, we will never learn from them the what they know to be true about God, which is Jesus is saying is essential to our faith. I, I was I've been in the habit of reading the action. What what's that Bible called? The action something Bible? Anybody know? The kid Bible? Yeah, you guys don't know. It's just called the Action Bible. Thank you, Sheila. What am I going to do with you when, you know, you're not going to be here? Come on. So I'm reading the Action Bible with my son, Cole, who's six. And we're getting through. He's, you know, two, three stories before he goes to bed. And we get to the story about how Jesus leaves, and the people are kind of staring into the sky, And then the angel comes and says, hey, you guys, stop staring into the sky. Get going, you know, do do something. And uh, Cole looks at me and says, without any prompting, "Um, but Jesus is going to come back, right, Dad? Doesn't he come back at the end? I go, yeah, yeah, he comes back. And, And he looks at me and he says, with this huge smile on his face, when he comes back, I'm going to get to be one of his followers. And I have to admit that in that little moment with a six-year-old boy, it's just like tears are in my eyes. Not because, uh, in the moment, not just because I'm glad that my six-year-old is starting to learn the the story of, of God in Scripture, but because I really needed to hear the joy that came out of his mouth right then. I was trying to learn from my son. What is it like to just be overjoyed by the fact that when Jesus comes back, I'll get to be counted as one of his followers? I think that's what Jesus is saying to these disciples. Yes, it's horrible that you would keep them from being blessed, but more than that, you're missing out on learning from them what it's like to really experience joy and to receive everything that God wants to give you in the kingdom of God. We have something to learn 
from the people on the margins, the poor, the widow, the foreigner, the fatherless, the oppressed. They have something to teach us about what it's like to receive from God the good news of Jesus Christ. So this is why the mission priority is to engage the marginalized. You notice it isn't worded, we're here to serve the poor, or we're here to serve or help the marginalized. We're here to engage them. That's meant to be a reciprocal term, that you spend time with people, that you build relationships with people, that yes, you share with them what you have to offer them in terms of your resources and what you know, but you're there to also receive from them what they have to offer and what they have to teach you about what it's like to enter the kingdom of God. I think that God is easier to find on the margins. I think that's why there are so many stories in scripture about how God is telling us and Jesus himself is going to these places and spending time on the edges because when you're not on the margins, it's easy to value self-sufficiency and fight off dependence and lose your sense of trust in something bigger than yourself. And when you meet people whose way of life depends upon trusting for their next breath and their next meal and their next anything, you learn something and you gain something from them. And the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ is about receiving, right? The whole point of the good news is that we couldn't do anything to earn God's grace and God's love in our lives. And it all starts with receiving and dependence and trust on the God of the universe to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. So it makes sense that people on the margins might understand that better on a daily basis than some of us who don't live there all the time, right? What I'm trying to say is, Engaging the margins is important for the people of Mill City Church to grow as it is for whatever help we might offer to the people on the margins. Jesus takes these kids in his arms, places his hands on them, and blesses them. He embraces physically the people who are considered unimportant and without power. And the Bible mentions how these people on the margins are to be treated hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in scripture. The Morford family is being sent by God into a space where they're gonna be on the margins at the beginning. They are, they are in a place of trust and dependence upon God because they're moving to a country that, uh, where they will not be the majority or in power and they may even be on the edge of, uh, of being unimportant in some people's eyes. But we all believe that something really powerful can happen by doing that. And I think as a microcosm, God wants to invite all of us into looking at our daily lives and saying, A, are there spaces where we could step into, where we could experience what it's like to be on the margins? Or if you feel like, I live on the margins, that's my life. I don't need to go anywhere to be on the margins. That's where I am. That, that we as a church community could lear, learn and listen from what, you, from what you live out every day. And maybe there's a way to be in a reciprocal relationship that might benefit both of us. I'll invite the band to come back up. I just have one more story to tell. So a handful of weeks ago, 
I was intentionally asking God to help me have eyes to see and ears to hear uh, people who are considered unimportant or powerless uh, in an effort to open my own eyes to spaces where that might not be happening. And about two Sundays ago, I was eating lunch with JD after worship, and I walked out down on, uh, down on Hennepin. And a guy came up to me and said, do you have any change? And I said, no. And this happened to me hundreds of times. It happened to you hundreds of times. I said, no, but can I buy you something to eat? So we end up in this conversation over some food. And um, by listening to his story, I found out that this gentleman had been through an unbelievable trauma. Um, when he was 17 years old, he was wrongfully imprisoned in the city of Chicago for a crime that he didn't commit. He was in jail for 12 years before a group proved that he didn't do what they accused him of doing using some DNA evidence. He got released and the city of Chicago gave him $9 million for being wrongfully imprisoned. But he was 29 and had been in jail his whole adult life and he had no idea how to steward $9 million. And he lost it, all of it. And now he's living on the street in Minneapolis. And I met with him a couple times over the last few weeks and he was just pouring his heart out about how he regretted so many of the mistakes that he had made, but also how he felt like God was bringing people into his life to try to help him get on a better track and to um, have a different life. And I kept telling him, it's, it's so amazing for me that you're willing to share your story so vulnerably with me. I don't know what it's like to live on the street. I don't know what it's like to not where I'm gonna know where I'm gonna sleep the next night. And so I drove him around and he taught me. He said, this is where people do this. This is where you take care of this. This is where you get this food. This is how you do this. Um, here are the people you wanna be connected to. Here are the folks you wanna stay away from. And that relationship is ongoing, but uh, in the midst of it, there are times where I was really afraid. I don't know this person. I don't know if this is a good idea. Some of the gifted social workers in the room know that I have really bad boundaries when it comes to like social work skills. Um, but at the same time, it was clear that part of my role in his life was to say to him, because he said to me, I'm, he said, I'm as tall as you, I'm 6'4", and I'm a black guy, and I wear this black um, mask over my face. So you can imagine when I approach young white women in downtown Minneapolis, they're not exactly ready to talk to me. And, and I said, hey, I understand that, and, and I feel a little afraid too, and you feel a little afraid of me. Let's sit down and have some coffee and see what God has between us. So maybe there's some risks that we need to take. Uh, maybe there's some places in your life where if you just had a lens that said, who are the unimportant people or the people who don't have power in my life? How can I relationally connect with them in your handout today, there are four ways that you can pursue this further. There's a, there's a Bible reading plan with the Bible app on you. It's a U version. It's the most used Bible app. If you look in the app store for Bible, you'll find it. There's a 14 day reading plan that's based on poverty and helping without hurting people. It would be great, a great read. Get it on your phone, read for 14 days. It'll take you through a number of scriptures. 
Join any of the missional communities that are focused on that. JD listed them for you here. Try coming to Eat with Hope Avenue. On the third Sunday of the month, the missional community is there. Sunday morning, every third Sunday of the month, you can go there at 8 o'clock. Eat some breakfast with people who are experiencing homelessness. It's amazing. We've taken the kids there. The people are very open. It's a great experience to get to build some relationships. Or just pray with me right now before we sing these last couple songs that God would help us to see these people on the margins because clearly God has called our church to keep doing this, right? And in the midst of the time where our country is embroiled in this conversation about who's in and who's out and how we're gonna keep ourselves safe, we desperately need the Christian community to stand up and say, but as Christians first, our job is to love the people on the margins and accept them and learn from them. And so let's again not get mired down in political um, connections and political arguments. Let's start with the scripture and try to say, how is it that we can best live out what Jesus is asking us to do? And let's use our voices respectfully to have conversations with people and say, as a Christian, I actually serve a person who was a refugee when he was an infant. We are committed to loving our community in the name of Jesus and loving the marginalized in the name of Jesus. So let's pray that God would help us to do that. Jesus, we love you and we're thankful that you continue to stretch us and push us. We pray that you would lift up your church, that you would build up our reputation as people who love you and who are willing to take risks to welcome people into your kingdom and to learn from people who are entering your kingdom. Give us the courage, God, to speak up. Give us the courage to say everything we say in love, to do everything we do in love, that we might be known as people who love the way that you love. Help us to spend our lives and give our resources and risk our lives to love other people in your name. Help us to get out there on the edges, God, where we know you are present and working and calling to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.